you that information should you choose to support the ministry we do. There you go. That is all the messages, uh, announcements we have for today. Um, we are Matthew 22. Um, Matthew 22, verse 1 is where we find ourselves. Uh, one of Jesus' um, most famous yet most troubling parables. And today you have been to um, restaurants sometimes where you receive steak done two ways or something done two ways. You will receive this parable done two ways. Jesus told him several other stories to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great feast for his son. Many guests were invited. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify everyone that it was time to come. But they all refused. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared and choice meats have been cooked. Everything is ready. Hurry. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went out about their business. One to his farm, another to his store. Others seized his messengers and treated them shamefully, even killing some of them. Then the king became furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servant brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? And the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Y'all go out and have a great week. (laughs) I mean, that's just like a wham. You know, this is one of those uh, parables that you get through reading. You're like, I'm just going to keep reading (laughs) because I'm going to just skip over this one. The traditional interpretation of it is this, that God is the king preparing the wedding feast for his son, Jesus Christ, that people are invited, but they chose not to come. And so they're cast out into the darkness. And so then the invitation is open for all. See, the way things would have happened back then is, is when a king threw a banquet, a lot of times he would send out his servants and invite the people that he was going to invite. There wasn't like this invitation that came in the mail and said, um, it's seven o'clock on Saturday night. This is when the party will be because they didn't know when everything would be ready for the party. So there wasn't a set date or time. There was just this sense that a party is coming. Be ready for the party. So when the king was ready for the party, they would go out and get him. There's a parable that the rabbis used to tell that was along this line of um, a king sends out his invitation says, hey, there's going to be a party, but I need you to um, to wash, to anoint yourself and to clothe in proper attire. And when the party is ready, I will send the servants to bring you back to the palace. When the invitation went out, there were many who um, immediately said, hey, the kingdom's going to get ready quick. The party's going to be ready quickly. Let's go ahead and get everything ready like um, the king asked us to and sit by the palace door. So there were people that went about their business doing that. There were other people who said, man, it's a it's the palace. Things always move slowly in the palace. You know, we have time. So let's go back to doing what we were doing and, and then we'll get ready later. And so the people who are at the palace door, when the time was ready, they were let in and begins the feast and the festivities. Those who are not ready are left outside looking in and seeing the joy and the celebration that they missed. 
So the people who originally heard this parable were probably very familiar with the parable that the rabbis told. And when, so Jesus, when he delivers this parable, it, it's similar to something that they had known, but then there's also some crazy differences like murder, burning of cities, things like that. Typical wedding feast stuff. You mothers of brides. So uh, we, ha- we have this scenario where the, the, the invitation is opened to a certain group of people, but those group of people, the Jews, if you will, have, um, have not acknowledged the invitation. And, and so then the king says, okay, open it up to everyone, the rest of the people, the Gentiles, go into the street corners, and I don't care who you bring, bring the prostitutes, bring the sick, bring the, it doesn't matter, bring all in. Because this is a feast open for all now. And then there's this, the, the last scene there where it talks about the man who wasn't dressed appropriately. Anybody ever showed up at a party and you weren't dressed right? Horrible, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it just a bad thing? You would rather be overdressed than underdressed? I have this really bad thing of I want to be the minimum amount dressed that I have to be. Um, it, don't read into that what it just sounded like. Um, what, what, what I mean by that is um, it's a Speedo party. Um, no, what I mean by that is, you know, if, if it's a shorts party, I'm wearing shorts. If it's a jeans party, it's, you know, I have my, you know, casual means something completely different to me than it does to like my granny's generation. Um, and there's a party uh, last night that some guys of my small group were having and, and they were going and they were sending texts and one of them goes, Hey, what's the attire for tonight? And this other guy sends out Christmas casual. I'm like, what does that even mean? Um, <laughs> I don't understand. And I, I'm not showing up in a bow tie, a suit type thing. If I can get away with Daryl's Christmas casual, which is closed toe shoes. You know, I mean, that's, that's more of his formal really than his casual, I guess. Uh, so I, I kid because I love, um, and so you have this whole, uh, you know, how did I know what to wear to this party King? Because I was just out on the street and you came along and go, Hey, we have this party ready. Does any, who's going with me? And everybody shows up and the chances are, you know, like clothes wise, no one's dressed appropriately. Cause how often do you walk around in a tuxedo just on your day to day life? And then you're ready to go to a party. Like just cause. Because you never know when a formal party is going to break out. I wear a tux at all times, you know. I mean, that's the type of thing that we're dealing with here. And the king looks at this guy and he's like, you're not ready. It's not a clothing scenario that we're dealing with. It's a preparedness. It's this scene of, okay, there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back and he brings us to be at this heavenly banquet. Are we ready for that? Have we prepared ourselves, our hearts, our souls? Are we spiritually disciplined enough to be ready? Meaning, have we prepared our hearts? Have we, have we, um, uh, have we prayed about this, spent time with God? Are, are we preparing ourselves so that one day we're ready for that feast that is open for all? Because there will be a time when the banquet door closes and there will be a time of judgment. Are we ready for the party? That's one. Here's two. In most every one of Jesus' parables, he opens by saying the kingdom of heaven is like... My translation has watered it down to, you know, to my level of, of speaking. 
but most everyone, the NIV and all these different things, will, will say the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like this, is like that. Um, it's like this and like that. Um, so the kingdom of heaven is like these different things. And, and the, the word is like in Greek that is used there is homoia estin. Homoia estin is, is like. But in this instance, in this parable, it is not that word that is used. It's a very similar word. But there is a key significant difference. The word that is used here is homoiothe. Homoiothe. And what this means is, has been made like. Okay, hear that great significance. The kingdom of heaven is like, this is a fact. The kingdom of heaven is like this. As opposed to, the kingdom of heaven has been made like. What Jesus is kind of pushing here is, You have made the kingdom of heaven like. Because if you kind of take the the story on, on, on the traditional interpretation of it and you see this, God is not very nice. The chosen people who, who don't acknowledge, um, this, the savior are just destroyed. And then it's open to everyone. And the guy who, who just wasn't ready is cast out without a thought. When the chances are most other people were going, well, what? At the same time. So you have this sense that Jesus is kind of turning this parable right here to say, look, I've told you what my kingdom is like, and I'm going to tell you about it a little bit more. But right now I want to talk about what you've done to the kingdom. What you have made the kingdom into. This power-hungry, driven Um, almost sociopathic type of kingdom that does crazy things for unexpected reasons and acts out violently when violence isn't necessarily needed. And all of these things, this, this overarching kind of sense of just not right. The kingdom of, of the world, essentially, as opposed to his kingdom. We have made his kingdom like the world as opposed to living in the truth of his kingdom. See, there's a line in there and it talks about, um, and this, by the way, is all Shane Hips stuff, um, who is a, a great preacher. Um, he points out this line that says, return to the field. Um, that one, one of the first initial guests who is invited um, declines and returns to the field. The significance Shane points out is a couple of things. One, he says, what happens to the man who returns to the field? Nothing. He's not murdered, nor does he murder. He returns to the field. And he goes on to say that um, if you look at a lot of what Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven, it begins where? In a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a field. A man plants his treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a vineyard. It's a field. It's this picture, this idea of the location of the kingdom of heaven. So, so what Jesus is kind of doing here is he's saying, here's this kingdom of the world and this scenario that we have built and placed upon ourselves. 
And here comes this worldly king and he's having a party and he's inviting people and, and, and things are power driven and power struggle. And you have to look right. You have to be ready. All these different things. And, and one guy, it's two guys, but he focuses on the one. One guy just, he goes back to the field. He goes back to the kingdom of heaven. See, we, we've built the kingdom of the world. And where does that lead us? Death. Destruction. Heartache. Turmoil. Decay. As opposed to the field where life grows. It's this sense that um, this man has rejected the kingdom of the world and said, no. I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. There is a real sense that Jesus teaches and says the kingdom of heaven is here and now. We have access to this on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying that God would place upon us the kingdom of heaven. It's not something that's out in outer space and that one day you'll get to fly off into the clouds and zoom. It's, it, it's here. I mean, that may happen later. I don't know. I've never been there. I've never died, so I have no clue. But what I'm saying and what I do know is that the kingdom of heaven is now, that the field is here. That we have this option to reject the kingdom of this world and return to the field. At Christmas time, the kingdom of the world is, this is when the kingdom of the world goes, doesn't it? Because we focus on worldly pursuits. And look, we do it at my house too. Corbin for like a month has, anytime we get a catalog, he pulls it out, he gets a pen and he starts circling. (laughs) Circling the things he wants, you know? And he believes, I think, that if it's circled, it will happen. It's like if you build it, if you circle it, it will appear. And, and, and we focus on this jolly, um, this, this sense of um, giving that's not related to the giving of the cross. And we get into this, these crazy things of, um, well, we get Christmas cards from people that we didn't send one. And you're like, oh, man, do we have any extra Christmas cards? We have to send them one now. If you're getting a Christmas card this late from someone you sent it to, it's because they didn't originally send you one either. If you get a present from someone that you're not expecting a present from, there's this sense of, oh, no, I didn't know we were on that Level. I need to go find something and get a present because I don't want to offend them because the way we share our love and show our love with each other this time of year is through material possessions. You gave me a bottle of wine. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to see how much it was. And then I will know how much I have to spend on you to reciprocate. And we fall into this sense that this is what it's all about. And it begins, if you remember, the the trees over here at Lincoln Heights appeared before Halloween. We build up this massive kingdom of the world and we sit in it. And we marvel in it. And we think that if you get that Lexus for Christmas, the world will be better. And yet heartache exists. And cancer lives and pain exists and death happens. 
As we follow the pursuit of the kingdom of the world, we will crash and burn. We will fail. We will be thrown into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's return to the field. Let's return to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. This sense of peace in the storm. This sense of calmness when the world around you is going nuts and crazy. Shane uh, likens it to living in a hurricane. If you live in the outer arm of the hurricane, you're going to get thrashed. But if you go to the center, to the eye, you will find a state of calm. Around you the world spins, but in the middle there is peace. There is grace. He has a a man tell a story who had just recently lost his wife to cancer. And he tells the story of um, finding that field, that sense of calm in the midst of a storm. One of the lines he said, which really struck me, um, was, In every tear I shed, there was grace. What a beautiful line. Because living in the eye, living in the field, does not say you will not have tears. You will not have pain. You will not have suffering because you live in this storm. But as you live in the center, in the field, there is a sense of peace and grace. And he says that line, and immediately I jump to, um, in my mind, something that Jenna wrote this week. Um, Some of you may know that Grace has a blog, gracecrocker.com, and and this sermon is brought to you by the good people. And and we started it years ago because we kept getting so many questions from people when all the medical stuff was really going on, and it was hard for me to answer everyone's questions. And so I finally just said, you know what, go to this website and and read, please, Um, because it's sometimes too painful for me to talk about. I appreciate your concern. But go away. Um, And so Grace used to write it uh, for a while, and then she got tired of writing. Um, And and so we passed the baton to Mommy, and Mommy has written it for um, most of the time recently. And she wrote one the other day that I have yet yet to post. Um, Gracie's wearing a Baylor sweatshirt, sickum. And she's being fed by her tube when she used to have the feeding tube. And... It was called, the title of it is Saved by Grace. And Jenna, in her quiet time the other morning, was reading that scripture where Paul talks about being saved by grace. That it's not, it's not anything that we can do. It's because of God. It's because of his grace. And, and she said, and, and I took it to a different level that day where it was not just the grace of God, but I've been saved by grace. Our five-year-old little girl. And she goes in to, to say the ways that her life has been saved because of this grace. And I read that, and I just saw the, the wisdom um, that exists in my, in my wife and, and, and the tears that were shed, because there were a lot of tears. <laughs> I mean, y'all have seen them come out here, um, but there were a lot of tears. In every one of them, I reheard that man's line, there was grace. 
In every one of them, there was a sense of grace and peace. Because with, without that, without living in the field, in that eye of the hurricane, those tears would become bitter and angry and loss. And yeah, I got to be honest, sometimes I stepped out of the field and I got angry. But I always returned to the field to find that grace and peace. I think Shane's interpretation of this is so brilliant. Because, yeah, you can see it the original interpretation-wise, and that is a great thing, too, that we need to be prepared. But I, I love this sense of, uh, of the dichotomy of the kingdoms of the world and of God. And the fact that we so often get attracted by the kingdom of the world and go out into the, the storm of the hurricane instead of returning to the field, to the center, to the peace and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to. That's why he came. Was so that we might have access to the kingdom of heaven now. Right now. That we might have access to the center And so I ask all of you, are you in a storm right now? Do you know someone who is, is a member of your family, a neighbor, a friend? We all have moments that we get into some weather. We all have moments where we find ourselves walking out into the kingdom of the world. Return to the field. Turn to the center, Jesus.